morning, Redemption Church. Woo! How's everyone doing today? Good. That's fantastic. Um, uh, obviously, I'm not Matt Boswell. Uh, we're a little bit different looking. Uh, my name is actually Sterling Monroe, and I am the high school youth director here at Redemption Church. All these people down here. Which is a really great time, and I really enjoy it, but Matt has blessed me with this opportunity to come and speak to you guys this morning, which I am really pumped about. Um, And before we get into it too much, let's uh, go ahead and start off with a word of prayer. Uh, Dear God, we just thank you for this day. Please just uh, bless us in our time here, Lord God. Just uh, let us us hear your word. Move us, Lord God. Use us in our lives, and uh, please just let your will be done just in everything that we do, Lord God. Just in your prayer. Amen. Sweet. So, obviously, we're talking about how God judges today, right? We're on our doctrine series, um, which we're following this book by Driscoll and Breshers, which is really good, and I would encourage you to pick it up, uh, just like Matt and uh, Steve have, and it's really, really good. Uh, But today we're talking about how God judges, which will mainly be a discussion about sin, and then also we'll go into just how that he uses that and how that God judges and how that God's judgment actually provides redemption in the end. I know it's funny to think about, but uh, I hope that over this discussion, over the sermon, that you will slowly understand that uh, judgment is not actually as scary as it sounds. A lot of the times we don't like to be judged um, simply because we think that we're actually better than we are. We think that we are less sinful than we actually are, but in reality, um, that's not the case. And God definitely judges us. Um, And it's especially interesting to note, because we are being judged from the creator of the universe, um, not just some grumpy old lady or something like that. So, but as I delved into this topic further and began to understand really what God's, God's judgment means and what it is, I started to understand that there's actually some hope, some hope that we can have in God's judgment because his judgment provides so much for us, right? We're not just judged by some crazy guy who wants to instantly condemn us to hell. He actually gives us an opportunity uh, for salvation. And he sent his son lovingly um, to take away all of our sins. And so then we can have the opportunity for eternal life, which is absolutely fantastic. So how's life? How has life been going up to this point? Um, I've had some pretty good days in my life, some actually really, really kicking days, um, which I'm stoked about, and I'm sure that you guys have as well. Uh, Some of those days I've had in my life, I was reflecting on them over this week, and one day, even though I don't really remember it, I actually rode a bike for the first time, and I'm sure it was a pretty fantastic day. You guys might have had the same experience. I love riding bikes, and uh, that was a great day in my life. Another great day in my life was uh, actually this last week. Some of you are going to laugh, but... uh, I got to go see Neil Diamond in concert at Key Arena. It was fantastic. Neil is 71 years old, and he is still kicking it. I was amazed. I was amazed. I thought that he might have a heart attack when we were there, but he actually did pretty darn good. And uh, I was definitely blessed on that day in order to go see Neil because I had honestly been wanting to for a very long time. Other, other good days in my life, I got to uh, marry my wife, Michelle, uh, smoking hot lady last year, actually, and that was fantastic. Uh, so that's another great day in my life. And then finally, the, the best, absolute best day of my life is the, li- is the day I gave my life to Christ. I'm sure that some of you in the audience can uh, revel in that as well, and that um, is a good day. But at the same time, 
Um, and today is actually my 8,791st day on the earth. It's actually kind of a long, big number. And while it might not be as, some of, uh, as, some, as long as, as some of you golden oldies out there, it is actually a pretty long time when you think about it in the amount of days. So then now we kind of get to the bad and the ugly, right? Everyone has bad days. Everyone has, has kind of rough days in life. Uh, some of the bad days in life, I can just remember times I felt distant from God. Felt like uh, God was just not even there. Um, sadly, it was me who wasn't there. Um, also in my life, there's been a few days that I've broken some bones. Uh, broken some bones and gotten injured. Those were some rough days as far as physical, uh, just kind of harm to my own body. And then I also had another rough day. Um, actually, this was just a rough time period, actually, where my grandfather actually passed away a few years ago. And those are rough days. And I'm sure that some of you guys can relate to that as well. Um, family that has passed or close friends that have passed. Um, but it is never easy. And then I've had other days where I felt so ashamed of myself and of my sin and how I've treated other people that I honestly felt like no one could love me. No one could love me at all. Excuse me. And while there's some days where I felt completely alone, God still was there in the midst of all of that. God still was there, which is absolutely amazing um, that he still loves sinners like us. But then, a perfect day. Has anyone ever had a perfect day? I don't know if you guys think about it very often. But um, if you're raising your hand, you're a liar. I'm sorry. <laughs> but because um, perfection simply does not exist in a day, right? Although we can try as long as we can. Like I said, almost 9,000 days. It's quite a long time. Quite, quite a few opportunities in order to have a perfect day, but it's really never been there. Um, and as I thought about this and I delved into it further, I thought about, well, what would a perfect day actually honestly look like, right? And a perfect day um, would be that if everything in unison worked to glorify God. Absolutely everything. We didn't sin. Others didn't sin against us. Everything was perfect. You know, we were perfect, perfect examples of the gospel, and then we were giving glory to God in communion with one another. It almost sounds like a fairy tale. I don't know if it'd ever be a Disney movie, but it probably wouldn't be that good. As far as, but we start to think about the perfect day and think about it, think about all of the tragedies that happen in the world and about how hard life can be sometimes. Um, life's not perfect. The world is not perfect. I don't know if you've looked around lately, but that is, uh, that is definitely the truth. And God, he wants us to realize that we need some major heart surgery. Instead of being stubborn and think that we can do life by ourselves, he wants us to rely on him, but instead we rely on our own human means, um, which are not going to get us very far. We try to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, kind of the American way, right? But how many times has that failed you? Every time. Every time that will fail you. Um, we seek other kind of items and accomplishments in order to fulfill the void of the gospel in our lives. We seek out other things to make us happy, um, but that will never satisfy. There is no way that you will um, have eternity with God if that is all that you seek. And we are constantly, absolutely constantly turning our backs on him in search of different solutions to our sin problem. Uh, the sin problem has actually been around for quite a while. Uh, it started quite a many years back, and there was this guy and this girl. Their names were Adam and Eve. They were chilling in this garden, an absolutely perfect place, the Garden of Eden. 
And uh, God created it for them, and God created Adam and Adam and Eve as well. But now we really get to the fall. And the, what the fall really is, is the source of sin and death here on earth. The fall is the beginning to the end. The, be- the beginning of sin and an earth filled with pain and suffering. From Genesis 3, we find out a few different things. Uh, first of all, we find out that Eve, um, God told them not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But uh, Eve was deceived by the serpent. She instead ate from the tree and... Um, Lovingly, she gave her husband a part of the meal, which is actually sad in the end because then we find out that after they have sinned, after they had committed this treason against God, they then went and hide. They hide from God, uh, like so many of us do when we commit sins of our own. And they searched, they searched, and they searched, but uh, they could never hide from God, actually. They tried to find a place. But uh, they were very unsuccessful. So then God reaches out to Adam, right? He pursues Adam. He asks him actually a rhetorical question. But the Lord God called to the man. This is just from Genesis 3, 9 through 11. Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? So again, we find out that he is hiding in shame from God. Because of his sin, and because of his sin, Adam has now lost his innocence, right? He's aware that he is now naked, that he is not clothed, so he searches that out, and that's why he's hiding. But like many sinful men since this time, um, and I know that I've done this in my own life, and I hope that you reflect as well, is that Adam, he pawns his sin off on someone else, right? Uh, he starts pointing fingers, actually. So we'll, we'll continue on, and in this situation, he actually blames his wife Eve, this is from Genesis 3.11, again. Continuing on. God says, Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. In my mind, I start thinking of the Brady Bunch. Because what is, Adam starts doing this instantly. He tries to get the blame off himself. He starts pointing fingers. And uh, what does Eve do? She does this, right? Goes a little lower in the spectrum. She starts pointing at the devil, who's actually a serpent um, in this case. And they're pointing fingers, and they're trying to pawn the sin off of themselves. But instead, God, he finally gets to the root of the problem, and he finds out that the serpent, um, as well as Eve's own sinfulness, is really the root. So he starts off with the snake. He addresses the snake. And uh, just kind of a part of what he says to the snake is, Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. So he curses the snake. Then he gets to Eve, the next person um, that had committed the sin. And she, um, like, like Adam, she also tried to point to the snake. But instead, God also curses her and says that she is going to have increased uh, child labor or increased tra- pain with her labor. Um, which I'm sure that you're all really pumped about. And then, next, God finally gets to Adam, um, who he came to first, interesting enough. He gets to Adam, and uh, what does he say to Adam? Right, he lets him know that all of his, um, that he will toil in the fields. Uh, it says, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. So God kind of throws these different things in there, where it changes everything, absolutely everything. God... He, he seeks Adam and Eve, but then in the end, everything is changed. Absolutely everything. 
So the fall is really where everything all starts as far as sin and separation. And it creates separation from God, the sin that we see in the fall. And everything good that God created that we see in Eden and um, just on the whole earth, now they are separated. It, It has now been replaced by imperfection. And now we find out that that is actually the world that we live in, right? An imperfect world. Just like we started talking about our perfect days earlier, we can never have a perfect day because the world is so imperfect. And we find out it's such a messed up place, and no matter what we try to do by our own means to try to fix it, it's never going to happen. Never, ever. It will never, because it is only by the grace of God that we can have eternal life. Uh, another fun fact for the day. This is Isaiah 59.2. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins has, have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. In my mind, this is a very sad image, right? God not hearing. Because the child, the child, I think of a child in this circumstance, and the child is reaching out to God, seeking God, right? In no way can God actually hear the child, because that is what sin does. It creates the separation between us and God. Thankfully, later on, as we find out, uh, God gives us something that will atone for that. So this imperfection that was introduced because of the fall is sin. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but sin is everywhere, actually. It is the most infectious disease on the planet. We think of cancer. We think of different physical calamities that can happen to us, but sin is everywhere. It will honestly infiltrate everything you know. In my own mind, when I started thinking about this, um, sometimes parents... They will say, uh, well, my child's a little angel, right? They would never do that. I've had people say that to me before. And, um, and in fact, they're wrong, and their child is sinful. And it's probably likely that their, chi- that their child did whatever that they think that they might not have done, right? And then also, when we think about sin and how it infiltrates everything, we think about our pastors, right? They're pretty good guys, but they are sinful, just like the rest of us. And finally... When you think that your sweet, little, probably small, old grandma is the sweetest lady that you've ever met in your whole entire life, she probably is, but she is still sinful, just like everyone else. Doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter where you're at, sin is there with you and inside of you. Sin is there waiting. Actually, I found this quote from Sherlock Holmes. I really like Sherlock Holmes. And uh, this is a fantastic quote. Listen up. It is my belief, Watson, founded upon my experience, that the lowest and vilest alleys in London do not present a more dreadful record of sin than does the smiling and beautiful countryside. Right? Sin's everywhere. Doesn't matter if you look in the vile alleys or in the beautiful countryside. It's there. It's all-encompassing. Absolutely everywhere. And we find out that sin is actually the ultimate violation between us and God. Again, separation. That is what creates. It's a a complete slap in the face to his holiness. And while our purpose on earth is to glorify God, a lot of the times we turn and we do this, right? We walk away from God. God's over there. We turn 180 degrees and we sprint in the other direction, right? In my mind, I think of a chaotic time. I think of, of honestly the running of the bulls. I don't know if you guys have seen the people when they're sprinting from the bulls. Sometimes that's what I do away from God. I sprint away from him as fast as I can. Also, I think of a child. Their parent is holding them. They're kicking and screaming and biting, trying to get away. 
a lot of times also, when we run away from God and when we seek other things, we have no idea where we are trying to go. Absolutely no idea. I thought of running a marathon blindfolded. That is the best uh, interpretation that I could come up with. And also, uh, another quote actually from R.C. Sproul, and this is kind of a good definition from his book called The Holiness of God. Sin is cosmic treason. Sin is treason against a perfectly pure sovereign. It is an act of supreme ingratitude toward the one whom we owe everything, to the one who has given us life itself. Have you ever considered the deeper implications of the slightest sin, of the most minute peccadillo? What are we saying to our Creator when we disobey Him at the slightest point? We are saying no to the righteousness of God. We are saying, God, your law is not good. My judgment is better than yours. Your authority does not apply to me. I am above and beyond your jurisdiction. I have the right to do what I want to do, not what you command me to do. I really like that because it really gives a good example and visual of how that we treat God sometimes. And I'll actually find out that there are a multitude of different ways that we can sin. And sadly, we're truly experts at it. Um, so we'll t- kind of discuss a few of those right now. So first of all, we see relational betrayal. Relational betrayal, again, is that separation. I know I keep hitting separation over and over, but it's so fundamental in our sin um, and, and how that separation occurs with God. And the relational betrayal we can see in both the Old and New Testament. Um, but if we look back to the fall, uh, the story that I told earlier, and that, that is truly relational betrayal right there because we see Adam and Eve, they're deceiving God. And their sin creates a fissure. Again, a fissure, right? I think of cracking and breaking under stress. Where you're trying to work away, and it and definitely creates disunity between the two parties. We also see rebellion from God. And uh, in both Testaments, actually, in Exodus 32, uh, the Israelites, they're hanging out. And uh, Moses, he goes up on the mountain to actually get the Ten Commandments from God. But uh, they get a little ADHD after waiting actually quite a long time. And they decide to build this golden calf. And uh, then God gets extremely angry at them, right, and wants to kill all of them. But that right there is rebellion against God because God wants us to not make idols. But instead, that's the exact opposite of what they do. Another circumstance in Matthew 21 uh, regarding rebellion is when Jesus uh, comes into Jerusalem and he enters the temple. And he starts flipping tables. And uh, that right there is a good instance because instead, you know, that's a house of prayer. Matthew 21, he says, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. So instead of prayer, there's buyers and sellers in the temple, right? They're rebelling against God, using his temple for um, much lesser purposes. We also find out that sin can be missing the mark of God's plan. Uh, I think of a target, right? You have a target that's sitting there. And you walk back, and you uh, got your bow and arrow, and you shoot at the target, right? Sometimes we can be pretty close to the bullseye, just a little bit off. Other times, we're in left field, right? Our sin can be all over the place sometimes, but we are always missing the mark of God. We also see ritual uncleanliness in the Old Testament, um, and that is where that for some reason they have become unclean, the uh, parties involved, so they must purify themselves um, for a period of time in order for them to become, to come back into uh, God's presence or back with God's people. We also see sin of omission. 
which is that is basically where we do something that we shouldn't do. Or sorry, we don't do something we should do. So it's neglecting our duty to glorify Christ. Instead of uh, trying to actually pursue him and have a relationship with him and glorify him, we're neglecting that, right? Turning 180 degrees in the opposite direction, doing exactly what God doesn't want us to do. We also see sin of commission. And in the fall, God, he told Eve that, or Adam and Eve, excuse me, that they could eat anything, absolutely anything from the whole entire garden. But what do they choose? They choose the one tree that they can't touch, right? God directly told them not to do that, but instead they did do it, right? So that's what sin of commission is. Also, we, a lot of times when discussing sin, thinking about it, pondering it in our own minds, we think about my sin versus other sins. I know I definitely do this, and I'm sure that you might as well. And for some reason, uh, we think that our sin is less than others. Right? A lot of times we're, we're comparing it, and we think that just because we have sinned less, we are then therefore better than others, right? But... In fact, we are sadly just honestly blinded by our stupidity because instead of comparing, God doesn't compare us to others. He compares us to Jesus. Jesus is human perfection, right? Absolutely perfect. So um, unless you're comparing yourself to perfection, you're uh, really doing it all wrong. James 2.10 really sets us straight as far as regarding your sin versus someone else's sin. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. One point. One time. That's all it takes. That's all it takes to separate yourself from God. That shows you how potent that sin is and how extremely that holy God is, right? Which we'll delve into a little bit more in the future. And if we honestly reflect in comparing ourselves to perfection, we're kind of dwindled down to someone who is always seeking other idols. An adulterer that is always constantly cheating on God and turning their back on Him. And then we also find out that sin, just as long as it separates us us from God, sin can also be judged at different levels. Uh, This kind of is a little bit confusing because, like I said before, we aren't supposed to judge ourselves against others because all our sin is the same. But in comparing, God actually does. So in James 3.1, uh, Paul, he's, uh, he's addressing, and he says that teachers of the faith are judged more harshly than others. Right? So there we get a good example of where the sin scale, like up on the screen, would be in effect. Whether if you're a teacher of the faith, and if you have uh, certain abilities, or if you are more influential than others, then at that time you will be judged more by God for the things that you do. And also we see... Uh, excuse me where that greater judgment comes for self-righteous Christians than for sinners. And that's found in Matthew 10:15 and Matthew uh, 23:15 as well. And this does make sense on a practical level, where that even if I commit a sin, um, it can be judged more harshly. Because let's say that um, someone comes and they kidnap my wife. They steal my wife and they take her off to some far-off land or something like that. But the sin is much greater, you would think, if they do that, than instead if they just coveted my wife, right? If they just wanted to come and steal my wife versus actually acting it out, those sins, you can think about it, and it doesn't make sense in a practical sense.
So we need to be reminded that, in fact, just one sin will separate us from God. Only one. And that instead of comparing ourselves to others, we just need to come back to Christ. Always come back to Christ. Instead of comparing yourself against others, come back to God. He will set you straight, um, especially looking at perfection. So then while we discuss the uh, total contamination of sin in our lives, the word that we use, or words, excuse me, is a total depravity, actually. And we're going to read Romans 3, 10 through 18. I feel like it says it really well and addresses it. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So Paul uses this very powerful imagery of of multiple Old Testament scriptures in order to really drive home the fact that everyone is under the power of sin, right? No one can, can escape it. And because we are too, even too sinful to understand and respond to the gospel of Jesus, we really need the Holy Spirit to come and work in us. So that then we can have eternal life, and then once that happens, we need to live in the pursuit of glorifying God, always pursuing glorification of God. So then even as Christians, a bunch of times we can be like a bunch of freshmen in college. And uh, we think that we know it all. We think that we know it all. But a lot of times uh, we miss the mark, as we find out. So the first one up there is uh, contract versus relationship. And instead of viewing our relationship with God as, as that is truly a relationship, we think about it as more of a contract. So we think that... God, we must not just simply not break laws, right? But God, he calls us to actually have a relationship with him. So instead of just having a contract and only be strictly just where you need to follow God's law, he wants a relationship with you. He wants to love on you. He wants you to love on him. He wants, that, he wants you to be in union with one another. But like we know, sin will create that fracture between the two parties. Um, also with miss, missing the point, some people, um, Christians, feel that they need to confess all of their sins. And um, does anyone know all of their sins that they have committed? Probably not, right? Probably not. Uh, Because we are so unknowing and absolutely oblivious to how sinful that we truly are. And thankfully, Jesus died for all of our sins at the same point, right? Jesus didn't die for only the sins that you are asked for forgiveness for, but instead he died for absolutely all of them. But on the flip side of that, Uh, You can take it the other way, and you can say, well, just because Jesus died for all of our sins, then we don't need to ask for forgiveness for any. But we find out that it, again, is muting the relational relational point between us and Jesus, right? So that's saying that we don't need to have a relationship with Jesus at all. But God truly wants us to accept Christ as our Savior and then glorify Him uh, once that has occurred. Other times we think that uh, if people are just simply good, right, definitely put quotations around that, uh, then that makes us sinless. But sadly that's not true because as we learned, the good that we're all talking about is uh, very limited 
and because we're all inherently sinful, which separates us from God. Then other times we can think, uh, me, myself, and I, and that if I am only sinning against myself, then it won't affect other people, right? If no other parties are involved here on earth, then it doesn't matter. Sadly, we're forgetting the big guy up top, and we are instead not thinking about our relationship with him and how much that our sin truly grieves him. When he, first and foremost, is the, is, is the best relationship and most important relationship in our lives, and that's why it really creates the ultimate violation between us and God. Because like I said, our sin separates us from him. They do it, right? What is, God calls us not, not to conform to the world. But instead, a lot of times we think that, well, if those people are doing it, I can do it as well. This is simply missing the point at the utmost level. Because God calls us not to look at others, but uh, we got this thing called the Bible, which is uh, filled with lots of truth. And he wants us to look at this to figure out how to live life, not to look at others um, and according to what they do, but according to how Jesus has lived his own life in perfection. Finally, we get to the last one, and where that if you're uh, not caught, then it's not a sin, right? But again, going back to me, myself, and I, if you are breaking the relational breach between you and God, creating separation, then that will also, um, is just (laughs) completely missing the point, and uh, you're still distancing yourself from God and creating disunity, even though that uh, other people don't know about your sin. A lot of us hide sins. A lot of us try to hide sins as much as we can. Uh, But God is all-knowing, and he will get to the bottom of it. So I know that talking about sin so much can get a little bit depressing at times, especially to learn how sinful that we are, uh, because it is to the extreme. But um, thankfully, God is holy. God is absolutely holy. God is 100% holy, because while we are so sinful and ungodly, he is absolutely, absolutely so holy. And a lot of times with this, we need to try to understand God's holiness with a little bit of humility. Uh, we think we know it all, again, but because uh, God actually even hides himself from us. So how can we know God to the fullest extent when he hides a little bit? And I'll read from Isaiah forty-five, fifteen. Truly you are a God who hides himself, O God and Savior of Israel. 1 Corinthians thirteen, twelve. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So we can't even fathom in our own minds. Even though we try, we can honestly not fully comprehend God. And when thinking about God's holiness, our God's and ho- our holiness, excuse me, and God's holiness is absolutely 100% off the charts. Opposite directions, though. That's the only problem. Our holiness um, is non-existent. God's is off the charts. Uh, When you think about God's holiness, times it by about a bajillion, and that is honestly how holy that God is. It's difficult to comprehend. I know. When I was studying this and trying to delve into this, I could not even begin to imagine how holy that God is um, just because I know how little I know. I know half of everything, and uh, less than half of everything even, uh, and that's a little bit humiliating. So God is holy, and I hope that you really take that to heart. And because of the amazing holiness of God, he must deal with our sin, right? The sin creates separation, but God has to deal with that because we cannot be around God if we are sinful. That will ruin the perfectness 
and complete holiness of God. Because we, we always know that God is sovereign, powerful, and good. Right? The Bible is continually stating that over and over and over. God's continually sovereign, powerful, and good. Uh, but thankfully, we have a loving God. God loves every person in this room, fun fact. And uh, thankfully, he sent his son in order to take all of God's wrath so that we can actually have eternal life with him. I'll read from Matthew one twenty one. This verse is uh, absolutely beautiful and uh, I believe is a good representation of the gospel. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Right? So just as Jesus changed every or sorry, just as sin changed everything after the fall, Jesus changed everything when he died on the cross. He provided redemption, and he came to change it all back. Beautiful. Thankfully, God's loving judgment provides righteousness for all who accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, right? And without his judgment, there's no way that we could even have the possibility of eternal life. We would, be, we would all be condemned to hell, uh, which is actually a very sobering thought. But like I said, God is loving, and he provides that way for us to make it Um, make it through if we accept him into our hearts. And he's the reason for sending his son to the cross for redemption, right? Because he loves us so incredibly much. Now we're on Romans 3, 21 through 26. And uh, this is actually following up on Romans 3, 10 through 18, where we've discussed total depravity. But instead, uh, we get a little bit more of the opposite end of the spectrum. But now our righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So God judges our sins. You can be 100% sure of that. He will judge us. Um, Which again is sobering. We will all be judged. But... Thankfully, he came down to earth in this absolutely selfless, selfless act of love uh, to die on the cross for us, for all of our sins. Um, Absolutely amazing. And that way, it provided an opportunity for redemption through him. We can have that redemption through Christ in our own lives. So that's why judgment provides the opportunity for redemption in the end, like you can see up on the screen, right? That's why judgment in the beginning... Uh, it can be a little scary because we will be judged. But at the same time, God is loving and he sent his son in a very powerful way in order to take all of the wrath, all of our sins, everything he put on his son to atone for us, all of those who accept him. So then as Christians, kind of what does this mean for us? What's the practical um, implications of God's judgment, right? But we need to know to repent, Right, repentance is the key um, to this. And I, I hope that you will keep 
with God's judgment and redemption on your mind, just straight up Jesus-loving repentance. It does not get any better as Christians. That's what we need to do. Give our lives, or give your life as a sacrifice, just as Jesus gave his for you. Right? Absolute sacrifice. Well, then for those of you who might not believe in God in this room and don't have a relationship with him, how does that fit? How does that fit? Um, I would encourage you to seek a relationship with Jesus. Seek him out, and he will find you out. Absolutely, 100%. He will come to you. God pursues us. Come back next week, because we're going to be talking about how God pursues us, and that is beautiful. All right, ask him into your heart. Ask him. Just say, Jesus, come into my life. All right? God provides judgment, but he provides redemption. I don't know if that gets you guys pumped, but as I got through this, and, and I, in the beginning we see the judgment slide, and it says judgment sad face, right? God made me happy by the end of this because of how much hope that he provides in his son coming to earth, right? He changes the game, changes everything in life. It is absolutely amazing. So I'd encourage you to begin a relationship with him, and if you have questions with that or struggles with that, pray to God. Ask God to come, and he will come. Right? He will come and uh, really try to meet with you um, as you're trying to struggle with maybe the concept of judgment or redemption or uh, just even trying to get, his, get to know his son better uh, through redemption with Christ and building a relationship with him. And also, if you have other questions and uh, maybe feel uncomfortable with prayer or talking with God or would just like to delve into that further with an elder, um, they are definitely happy very happy to meet with you after the service. They got these sweet name tags on. So please seek them out if you don't have a relationship with Jesus uh, because he, he will change your life. Absolutely change your life. And uh, that's why he is so amazing and why his judgment is so important because it truly provides an opportunity for us to get to know him better. Uh, so now with that, uh, let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, just thank you for this time. We thank you for your love, Lord God, and just uh, how redeeming that you are, and just how that you work in our own lives, and just your judgment and how it provides holiness um, for us, Lord God, through your Son, so that we are able, if we accept you, to have eternal life, Lord God. Please just continue to work in our lives, work in our hearts, um, just be with us throughout our time as we seek you and uh, try to glorify you further, Lord God. Just name we pray. Amen.